Uh, if you got the email from me this week, well, let me just kind of go over it real quickly in case you did not get this email. Um, there are some psychological disorders that have become common words to us. They're just familiar. What my, I've got them on a list, but what are some of those? ADHD. All right, attention deficit hyperactivity, I think, disorder. What's another one? Bipolar. It is a bipolar disorder. Sometimes I think we leave off the disorder thing, but uh, yeah, that is definitely one. What else? Somebody who's been in the military, people that uh, come back are often diagnosed with what? PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's been what? Watered down so much. Others uh, that you may, I don't know how to describe them. Um, if you ever saw a TV show, how many ever saw a TV show called Monk? Did you ever see Monk? Monk would, Monk would have been what? OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, those are some that we are familiar with. Others are unfamiliar. IED, and that is not, it, it is intermittent explosive disorder. It's not about bombs blowing up, but people blowing up in anger. That is a disorder. ASD, acute stress disorder. I mean, how many of you say, I think I'm, I'm, uh, I'm struggling with that one. Um, or, <laughs> I, just saw the, I just saw the letters on this one. SAD, social anxiety disorder. So if you see somebody that's sad in a group of people, you know they are probably struggling with social anxiety disorder. Well, this, more, this evening, rather, I want us to talk about what is, in my opinion, the most serious psychological disorder there is, and one that is extremely important for us to be aware of and to address in counseling situations. And I know some of you may have been somewhat surprised when you saw me using this term as far as a psychological disorder because I've basically said that biblical counseling uses the Bible as its final source, not just of its final, but you know, final source of authority, not the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, and the fifth edition even, that's not the singing group. Y'all are old enough to remember the fifth. Um, yeah, you hadn't thought of them in a long time. Or was that the song? No, it was the fifth dimension, wasn't it? Fifth dimension. Anyway, uh, not the fifth edition. Uh, the most widely used system for classifying mental disorders and providing standardized diagnostic criteria. And that's true. That is something that I pay very little, if any, attention to. 
what? Second Peter chapter five, excuse me, second Peter chapter one. You'll look there for let's look at that real quick. Second Peter. You are all wise people. I don't have to tell you where Second Peter is. But when we were in Second Kings the other day, I thought, all right, I need to tell some folks where Second Kings is. Second Peter ch chapter one, verse three says. I'll start in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted unto us everything, all things pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge. Really, it's through the epigenosis, the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And I believe that everything that we need for life and godliness, we find through that relationship with Christ. Now, you can get down and you can start dissecting things. And, and that is a fair thing to do with the Bible. Um, you know, it stands that type of scrutiny. Uh, to, for instance, the things basically that we treat in or address in counseling. Oh, I forgot, Vera, we forgot that uh, um, the statistics thing. We'll tell you next week. We can, we, can, we can go over that next week. We ask you who are the people, where do you counsel people and those types of things. We had another meeting beforehand, and so I forgot to bring that in. Biblical counseling basically addresses people with spiritual, mental, uh, soulish, spiritual type issues. Involved in that are, are the heart, the mind, uh, the, the soul, all those types of things. There is a difference between the brain and the mind. Your brain has to do with, with things that are going on that are physiological. They're not, they're not soulish, although they are tied to the soul, tied to the spirit, but they are physiological. They are, are physical in nature. Like you can love God, you know, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and yet have major heart issues, clogged arteries, you know, valves that are messed up and all those types of things. So your, your physical heart, you, have a, you can have trouble with your heart in a physiological type of a way, but not your heart as far as your relationship with God. Anyway, I'm probably chasing a rabbit on that. So where do psychological labels come in? I want to encourage you, if you have any interest at all, in how do psychological labels really fit into counseling, talking with people uh, about things that they are dealing with. In other words, there's a great book by a man named Ed Welch, W-E-L-C-H, that the name of the book is, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. Ed has written tons of books about biblical counseling, just tons and tons of 
well-respected author. I have a psychiatric diagnosis. And again, the reason I'm talking to you about this stuff is you're talking to your neighbor, you're talking to somebody you work with, you're talking to somebody, uh, you know, you're sitting in a Firestone station waiting for your tires to, to get ready, and there's a guy that's across from you, and he starts, you know, you're just talking about, you know, how's your day? Well, you know, it's just hard. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm a veteran, and, you know, I, I have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and, and on and on. And you can just take that and go, whoa, okay, he's got this disorder. Or you can see it in somewhat of a, of a different level. I don't care about, nor do I pay much attention to a psychiatric label. Uh, and I really, from a biblical point of view, would encourage you not to. I think, I don't know the statistic. I've, I've got 99.9%. .9%. I don't know if that's too far to, to say or not, but I'm, I'm, I think it's a high percentage of Psychiatric labels and many other labels are just lies. As a Christian, for somebody to, to make a statement and to say something like, I am a, I'm an alcoholic, that's not who you are. In your innermost being, you are a child of the living God. That is who you are. I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Uh, I am a saint. I am on my way to heaven. I am a new creation in Christ. I, I am a person who has been chosen before the foundation of the world. Uh, I am in Christ. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places, I have the mind of Christ. And we could go on and on and on with, with biblical statements to, that's, that says, this is who you are. Now, you may be a person that struggles with a sin, the sin of alcohol. Or somebody could say, you know, we used to hear this, and especially several years ago, you know, that, that, uh, that I am a sex addict. Well, if you're a Christian, once again, that is not who you are. Um, but the labels and psychiatric labels, again, can cause people to say, you know, this is who I am. I am a person that, you know, I, 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 I am OCD uh, and, and all of the other things. Um, that's why it is so important, and we've talked about this before, that as you are talking with people, that the, the things that I'm talking about apply to someone who is a Christian. In other words, you, you're talking to your neighbor, and, and he's talking about you know, his wife or himself or whatever, and, and I am all of these types of things. You can, you know, the various disorders that are there uh, is helping them to see sharing the gospel with them. 
that is that is absolutely essential. Okay, that, listen to what 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 I'm saying here is kind of a hinge thing. I'm not here in my conversations to win arguments. I am here to minister to Jesus to someone. So if somebody tells me, well, I, I have a PTSD. I'm not going to say, no, 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 you really don't. Or if somebody says, well, you know, I, I'm, I have, uh, I, I'm a person, I'm, I'm OCD. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say, no, you're not. I'm not here to win some type of an argument about something like that. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to, in all probability, go there in, in, in any way or especially for a while because that's not the issue. The issue, is, number one is, have they received Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life? That's the, that's the greatest issue that is there. Because even if you were to help them with everything else, you know, you're helping them uh, overcome the, the, the flashbacks and, and, and all the other things in, that are involved in all of these various disorders. If you, if you do all of that, what does it profit a man if he gains the, world, the whole world and loses his soul? So in our conversations, the first thing, now it might not be the the first thing that you're talking about, because if somebody comes to you, again, it's your neighbor or whatever, and they're just, man, they're just emotionally torn up, and they're telling you, you know, I'm, I'm a policeman or, you know, I'm a military person. Man, you wouldn't believe the things I've seen and the, the things I've done. And, you know, I've been, I've been diagnosed as uh, PTS, PTSD. You're not going to say, no, 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 no. That's not really true. And especially if somebody is crying out and in pain and they're frustrated and they're hurting and they're just, they're, they're all, they're doing all of those things. It's looking, it's just praying for wisdom to say, Lord, is now time to go into the gospel uh, or is now time to, to love on this person? Is it a time just to say, man, I know I can tell you're really hurting and I want you to know I'm really, really sorry. Uh, I don't know what all that you have been going through, but I, I just want to tell you, I'm very, very sorry for you. And maybe offer to, to pray with them. Again, there's no way here to get into all of those uh, situations of saying exactly what do I do. But the issue, number one, is have they received Christ as the Lord of their life? And then second of all, the big issues is are, are they living with Christ seated upon the throne of their heart? Um, lots of paths, lots of ways that we get there, but that those are the two huge issues that we are talking about in counseling. Not the label. The, the label is somewhat meaningless. You say, well, Bill, why are you using it? The word psychology is derived from two Greek words, uh, uh, psyche, uh, which would come from the Greek as far as in the, the whatever as far as suke is probably more of a uh, New Testament Greek way of pronouncing it as far as our soul 
our mind. It's, it's, it's a uh, big and somewhat complex word. Again, our mind, our soul, sometimes our spirit, and logos, which in this particular thing talks about studying, uh, discourse to think through. They are biblical words. There's nothing wrong with the word psychology. Those are, are biblical terms. They are great words as long as they're used properly in the right hand. So what is the greatest disorder, psychological disorder? Disorder means it's a state of confusion. To quote, I mean, it was a Webster thing, a state of confusion to disrupt the systematic functioning or arrangement in West Tennessee talk it would be something ain't right here you know uh, that that's what a disorder is you say well what is the most dangerous and destructive disorder in our soul in our life look in Mark chapter 12 Mark chapter 12 And I think that part of it, even that you can use this in talking with somebody, being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, I think especially if you have been talking with someone who says, well, you know, I've been seeing a counselor and I've been, you know, I've been diagnosed with this, I've been diagnosed with that. Um, I think this is uh, an appropriate term what I'm fixing to, to give you to use with them, again, just to connect, to kind of help them get some traction with that. I'm not saying it's something that you would uh, bring out with somebody that they've never been to a counselor or therapist or whatever in their life, and if you tell them they've got some type of disorder, they're, they're liable to freak out. But Mark chapter 12 Verse 28, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than this. Life is all about loving God, that, that he is the center and he is their circumference. He is number one in everything else. Life is all about pleasing him. And if somebody is not living like that, then they have a worship disorder. They have a worship disorder. Their life does not center around God. It centers around themselves and almost every counseling situation you have must deal with in addressing this worship disorder in some type of a way and again when i'm saying counseling i'm talking about the 
the you know the the, the next door neighbor, the guy in in in, in Firestone, the the person that you are are working with. And again, I'm not necessarily saying you say that those words unless it's something that that they have been saying to you. Well, I've been diagnosed with this, and I've been diagnosed with that. And to be able to tell them, you know, I think what, what you have is really a, a worship disorder. Someone, a Christian, dealing with an addiction issue. If they're dealing with an addiction issue, they have a worship disorder. Somebody who uh, is dealing with porn improper sexual relationships, fornication, adultery, whatever. It is a worship disorder. And a whole lot of the things that go on as far as marriage counseling and relationships, when it comes down to it, bottom level, it is a worship disorder. Say, Bill, why do you say that? Because as people are moving towards that sin, as they are engaged in that sin, nothing and no one matters but themselves. I don't care about anybody else. I don't care about anything else. I don't care how this is going to affect my wife. I don't care how this is going to affect my children. I don't care how this is going to affect me financially. I don't care about how it will affect what other people as far as having a good name in the community. Uh, I don't care about anybody or anything else but me. The world and the universe, it centers around me. And I would tell you that if things were somehow another different and, and, and God were somehow here and as a person or whatever, there are people that are engaged in, in, in not just pornography and addiction and things like that, but there are people that would shoot or kill the living God if they could because he stands between them and their pleasure. People are living for nothing else but their pleasure. And that is, like I said, a worship disorder. That's the root. That's the root of the whole thing. Um, and while we're here, did you notice the second commandment? Love your neighbor, and that's your husband, your wife, your parents, children, friends, everyone else as yourself. And if that is the second greatest commandment, then is the second greatest sin to not love others as you love yourself. Now, if I'm sitting here talking about, okay, tell me some real, tell me some of the most serious sins. Uh, we'd get taking the Lord's name in vain and stealing and killing and you know, adultery and all kinds of other things would come up. But the Lord says the, the second greatest commandment, and I'm not going to live or die on the semantics of this, but I think it's an interesting thing. And um, 
if that's the second greatest commandment, it is perhaps the second greatest sin to not love and treat others the way you would want to be treated. Counseling anybody, but especially any type of couples counseling, or if you're talking to a, a man, or if you're talking to a woman, and they're talking about, you know, well, my wife or my husband or, or this or that. As I'm talking, I, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to argue with them if, and, and might agree and say, yeah, your husband, he's, uh, yeah, he, he sounds like he's been a jerk. Yeah, I agree. And your wife, yeah, you know, she sounds like an evil woman. You know, I'm telling you. It's, uh, um, but while we talk about them, and, and we address that. We don't just totally ignore it. As much as I can, I want to shift the focus away. It's really, you know, and especially if you're just talking to one of them. You know, I hear you complaining about your wife, but can I talk to you for a second? I know your wife's not here. Uh, and helping them to... to to shift their eyes and their focus from their wife to their relationship with Jesus. That what it really comes down to is what is the will of God? What does Jesus want? What does Jesus think about how you are responding and treating and living towards your husband or your wife or this other person. So let's try to make it a little bit more practical. So I'm saying all that, and you know, most of you are still awake, so that's a good thing. Uh, but you say, how do you do that? You know, how do you make that application? I'm, I'm kind of hearing the words. Uh, let me give you a couple of these. We may have talked about them before, but you probably forgot, so we will uh, shift it again. Fear, let me see that if you would, because I would, I would bring this pen out, and I could ask you something, say, what is the purpose of this pen? And you might say to, to look good in your shirt, or something like that, or spend unneeded money on, or, or whatever. But if I ask you oh, about this pen, hang on, you can do it with all kinds of things. Um, pen, you could do it with keys, you can do it with a phone. Which do we want to do it with? Robert, what do we want to do it with? Pen. Okay, we'll start with a pen. But again, if you're out somewhere and you don't have a pen or something with you, you can uh, do it with keys. Say, what is uh, the purpose of this paper mate um, instrument that I hold in my hands? You can ask somebody. Mike, what is the purpose of this? To write with. That is why Mr. Papermate... Uh, made this pen, made this instrument to write with. Now, you can do other things with this pen. You know, if you don't have a piece of paper, it will work as a hole punch. You know, you can just uh, punch holes in this, and it will, uh, you have to work on it a little bit. I won't take all the time, but you can do that. I may have told you before. <laughs> it becomes a pen disorder. <laughs> if you are... 
uh, uh, a seven or eight year old boy and you like to watch old people run, then you can take styrofoam cups and you can just poke a hole in the coffee cups and stand around there when they're pouring coffee and the other things, you know, watch them do something with it. Uh, you can do other things with it. You know, if, if you have nothing else and you're being attacked by somebody, uh, you know, Bruce Lee could do something lethal uh, with that. Y'all are old enough to remember Bruce Lee, probably other people. But, you know, you got that. If you stab somebody with it, it, it beats nothing. If you're a mechanic, there's probably all things you can do with it. And if you're a nurse, uh, if somebody's, you know, stopped up, can't breathe or whatever, you can do this and put it in the lungs. I saw that on MacGyver, whatever. There are other things you can do. There, there are things that you can do with this pen, but its purpose, the reason it was created, was to write. So the question for you is, as I am asking you, and David Bennett has probably seen me do this before, so I can do it. I won't pick on Tom, but I'll just say, what is the purpose of your life? Now, stop and think, and especially if I'm talking to somebody, I know a church member, somebody in your life group or whatever. Listen, now, don't give me that churchy answer unless it's really true, okay? You've been around church, you say, oh, my purpose is to glorify God. My purpose is, you know, to love God and all that kind of stuff. I want to know what, what demonstrates it. What, what, what brings you pleasure? Um, what, um, you know, when you go, go on vacation, you look forward to going on vacation because you can do this. What actually is the purpose of your life. And then I'll often tell people, said, there are times that the purpose of my life is just to be comfortable. I just want to be comfortable. I want to go home and I want to prop up my feet. I want to relax. There are times that is much more the purpose. And I'm not thinking about God or anybody else. I'm just saying, I just want to go home and I want to relax. And to ask people, what, what is the purpose of your life? Now, what are some things that people could say? You know, where you're trying to help them to, to be honest. What are, what are some, some things? And you got to get real. We get outside of church. Um, yeah, yeah, purpose of life, I want to be happy. Really didn't have anything to do with God or, you know, anything. Um, what, what else? Somebody is brought up in a home where they're the youngest child, maybe they're the oldest child or whatever, and the parents have always not believed in them, You're, you know, and said things or whatever along the way. So the purpose somebody's life is, I want to prove to anybody, to my parents, my brothers and sisters, and anybody who pays any attention, I got what it takes. My purpose in life is I want to be a success. Very subtle, you know, and you can end up, man, that can end up just messing you up as a Christian because all of a sudden, you know, my purpose in life, man, I, I'm teaching a life group. I want to I wanna have the largest class there is. I want to be, I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. I want to be in control. 
that's really the purpose of my life. Or purpose of my life could be, um, what are some other things? Anything come to mind? Say that again. Being a good parent. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. You know, I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. You know, my parents, I mean, I came from this great family, so I want to keep the name up. Or I came from a horrible family. And, and or somewhere along the way, that wove itself into my life. And so, you know, people have told me, oh, you've got such a great family. And so that has fed my ego. And so along the way, the purpose, the controlling thing in my life, and that's why my husband and I are, wife and I are having all these fights, really maybe when it comes down to it, is that the purpose is that, that my kids do what I want them to do and they make good grades and get into a good college so that people look at me and say, you've done a good job. I'm just talking about trying to help people understand what's really going on, what really is the purpose of your life. The purpose of my life is I want to make a lot of money and I want to be independent because I don't want anybody telling me what to do. You know? Or in my relationships. Again, I want to be in control because I don't want anybody trying to tell me what to do. I want to tell other people what to do. On and on to help people. This is the purpose of that pen. Or the, or the purpose is... Uh, just using that as an example, and you can do it with all kinds of things. Verse of Scripture. Please write this down. 2 Corinthians 5.9. 2 Corinthians 5.9. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, kind of talking about the resurrection and standing before Christ, our goal is to please Him. So you're talking to somebody, you use the pen, and say, what is the purpose of your life? And, you know, maybe people can kind of come up with it, or they go, I don't know. You know, I'm just, you know, well, try to help me. Tell me a couple of things that come to mind. I said, let me share with you what your purpose and my purpose should be. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Almost all of us have a Bible. We've got a Bible on our phone or, or something like that to where we can tell people to say, the goal of our life is to please God. So I know we've been talking about you being frustrated with your husband, your wife, kids, society, your boss, whatever. I want to encourage you. You can get a little three-by-five card. If you can't get that, get you a styrofoam cup and a sharpie and write on it or however you can do it and set it next to your bed where when your alarm clock goes off the very first thing you see is that three by five card folded or a styrofoam cup with seven words written on it it said my goal today is to please god I think that's seven words. My goal today is to please God. You inserted today because it just really helps to make it practical. 
Turn the alarm clock off. See that. Lay back in bed for 30 seconds. Don't lay any longer. You'll fall back to sleep. And just pray a prayer to God and say, Lord, my goal today is to please you. It's not to please my spouse. It's not to please my kids. Not to please my boss. Not to fit in with all the people at work. God, my goal today is to please you. Well, how do you please God? Just tell me some things. How do you, you know, if you're trying to help somebody think, how do you please God? Jeff, what comes to mind? You're talking to somebody and you're trying to help them. What, what's that going to look like? Obedience? Obedience to what? Oh, they need to read their Bible. Yeah. Pray. Yeah. Yeah. Of sharing, of just sharing, you know, the good news of Christ. David, did you say something? Yeah. You know, you look at Jesus. Jesus was a servant. Uh, Jesus uh, lived for the pleasure of God. You can go all the way through, and the Lord will bring things to mind, but you're trying to help them realize the purpose of your life. And I know you came in all frustrated, you know, about this and that, and your wife won't listen to you, and your husband's bossy, and your kids don't pay any attention to you, and all of these things don't focus on them. The purpose of your life is to please God. Now, if you'll do that, You'll find out as you are praying, witnessing, walking in the fullness of God's Spirit. you got to sometimes break that down for people because they may not have a clue what that means. You know, allowing the Lord to control your heart, uh, uh, listening to a, a worship song on the way to work, cut off the news, listen to that, other things. And you'll find out as you are pleasing God, you're going to end up pleasing some other people just by accident. You know, Jesus talked about going the extra mile. Jesus talked about, you know, giving the, you know, the shirt off your back, turning the other cheek, and all of these things. Now, Jesus also spoke, talk, spoke about tell, speaking the truth in love. But as you are pleasing God, you're going to be focused on that. You're not going to be focused on what everybody else is doing. God's going to end up giving you a song in your heart, and you're going to end up just by accident pleasing other people around you. But it's helping people in the midst of all of that stuff um, get their eyes off everybody and everything else and put them on the Lord. And if you can really remember, Psalm 1914 uh, is a great prayer for them to pray. What is it, Don? I saw that nod. I thought Don knew what it was. Somebody, what, um, Psalm 1914, you know the words, talks about pleasing. May the be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength, my rock, and my redeemer. So you're talking to somebody, you've given them something to do, you've given them this homework as far as first thing they see when they get out of the morning, and again, yeah, I mean, you'll remember that. Uh, to say, And I also want to give a, a, a prayer to you. It's real important, man. You can pray this back to the Lord several times today. Oh, Lord, 
God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my, my strength, my rock, and my redeemer. Several years ago, when I was in serving in biblical counseling, I remember a couple that came in to see me. They were in their probably early 60s. I can't remember exactly. Uh, they were both believers, very clearly talking with them. They gave great evidence that they knew the Lord. They shared testimonies and had been involved in church for years and years and in all types of activities and you know, not just the outward stuff, but they were in, 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 in many ways somewhat mature believers. Now, I'll share some other things with you, but that's just basically who they were. These are people that would be in your life group. These would be outreach, inreach leaders or whatever, secretaries in your life group. These are people that are, are very involved. Uh, they, brought their, they had one daughter. They had brought her up right the problem uh, for most of the 30 years or so that they had been married uh, the husband had been somewhat absent um, you know they, they lived together and he was there he worked a very demanding job and he did his job well he took lots of steps uh, made lots of money, which enabled her to stay home, which she really enjoyed, not having to work outside the home. Uh, but, you know, work was a huge, 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 not just the nine to five, but the extra time, the nights, uh, occasional weekend things she had at times, um, Vacations would come up, they'd plan vacations. The husband at the last minute would say, I can't go, you know, I've got this going on at work. And so she and her daughter would travel uh, to really nice places. I mean, really, you know, uh, expensive, uh, very, very, very nice places, but he wouldn't go. She pursued him for years. When I talked to them, they'd been married about 30 years or so. Uh, and, and during all of that time, uh, especially the last 20, 25 years or so of it, she, you know, pursued him and saying, you know, you don't have to work this much. Uh, you can take time off. Surely you can go on vacation with us and you can be home more and those types of things. She wanted more romance in the home and in their relationship. And it wasn't that he was just gone all the time. It was just he was gone a whole lot uh, of the time. But again, as they're talking, and he's saying, you've got a, a very easy, nice, and enjoyable life. And she said, yes, I do. And I realized that that has come because of your work. So that dynamic was there. Uh, they never had knockdown, drag out fights in the midst of all of this. It was just 
you know, I, I want to do more. I want us to be more of a, of a family. Before they came in to see me, in the, in the last 9 to 12 months, she had developed an emotional relationship with one of the elders. Uh, now, what we have up here is we have, you know, I, I'm a pastor, elder. Uh, it's three different things there, but we don't call them elders. But, you know, that's, but these were uh, non-paid elders, kind of like in a Presbyterian church or something like that. Uh, she had developed an emotional relationship with, with one of these elders. Uh, and the husband had become aware of it. She said that it was not a sexual relationship. I pretty much believed her in, in what she said and how she said it. But it was still, you know, it was an uneasy thing that uh, just the whole relationship there with this guy. Um, the husband has now come to his senses and realized, you know, I've been doing all of this work and now I'm potentially losing or have lost my wife, uh, confronts the elder at church, which kind of embarrassed her because uh, up until uh, really the conversation, I mean, he just said, you're just spending too much time with him. You seem like you're infatuated with him. She said, I am not. And then he goes and confronts the man, and the man says, I have no feelings for your wife, okay? She's a sister in the Lord, and I'm very happily married, so I don't you know, appreciate you, you know, making this accusation against me. But the wife is still emotionally involved with the man, with the elder at church. And so the husband now really starts to and has for about the last nine or 12 months pursue her to say, I want us to have intimacy in our marriage, spirit, mind, soul, body, everything. I, I want us to have a great marriage. Um, I want us to go on vacations together and to do things. Well, by now, the daughter is about 23, 25 years old. So he is realizing, wow, in many ways, I've kind of lost her. Um, the wife did not want a divorce, but did not want to pursue an intimate spirit, soul, mind, and body relationship with him. She said, I'm tired. I have pursued you for 20 or 25 years. I have asked you, I have begged you, I have pleaded with you, and you just have rejected me. And now, all of a sudden, because there's another man that I have met, and I'm, I kind of feel this is, even though I know he doesn't love me, this is what it feels like to be important to someone. Um, I just don't want that, you know? She said, I don't want a divorce. I know that's not the will of God. And I will stay in this marriage, and I will... I'll be a good wife. And she said, I'm, I'm not trying to say this in you know, some type of flippant way. 
We will talk. We will have conversations. We will have sex. But I can't give you what you want. I can't give you uh, the intimacy of, of my heart because I'm just worn out. And this was not just the spur of the moment. You know, this had been going on and they'd had the conversations and she just told me, I just, she said, I just, I've tried for a long time. I've tried to do this and there's nothing there. She said, you know, I don't want a divorce and, and I'm not going to be out flirting. I'm not going to be out doing things. And we talked about what love is. And love is not a feeling. And she's, you know, love is a verb. It's action. It's what we do. And she said, I'm, I, I will do all the things that I'm supposed to do. I, I will be there. I, outwardly, you'll think, you know, I'm wife of the year. But there's just nothing there. Um, we talked. He asked her to forgive him many times. This is my fault. This is my fault. You asked me over and over and over again to be involved, and I ignored what you said and and I'm asking you will for you will you forgive me she said yes I forgive you there's just nothing there um, she said again I know divorce is not the will of God and I don't want that I don't want to go against the will of God uh, but I just don't have what you are looking for from me one of the things that we talked about over and over uh, for her especially was to to realize the the importance of worship and that worship is giving your heart and your soul it's giving all that you know of yourself to all that you know of God and 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 being his and being consumed by him and he's the center and the circumference and asking him uh, God, because it pleases God for you and your husband to have that intimacy of spirit, soul, and mind and body, for y'all to be one flesh, and that's not just sex. It is, you know, it is a, you know, it's y'all coming together. So how did it work out? I saw him about eight times or so. Um, I believe that we made good progress. It never came together the way I wanted. Uh, one of the joys uh, of, of counseling people is when you can see God bring, you know, when, when God heals the situation, when he brings a couple together, when somebody is no longer... Uh, drinking when they're no longer living under guilt and the addiction and things are being broken and you can you can see that I got to see that this was not one of those where you're going okay y'all don't need to come back anymore because you know y'all don't need me y'all are are where God wants you to be it did not come out like that um, but I have hope. I, I know that, that 
she took steps towards him. Uh, and then they ended up, um, we had, you know, they just started canceling appointments and then just never came back in and never knew what happened. It would have been, it, God had to be the one that changes her heart. She knew the verses and she was doing the stuff. But her heart needed the, the touch, the power, the presence of God there to do what needed to be done for her to be changed from the inside out. Now, I'm going to throw just a quick parenthesis on here. As I thought about this today, I realized what we talked about last week. Uh, when you're dealing with people that have a, a demonic stronghold, I think that's part of what she had, that she had a, a soul tie to this man, that in the whole spirit realm, that especially because she was wounded and hurt, that that there had just been a tying of her spirit to his in some mystical way and that she had given ground to the enemy, maybe thought about him a whole lot and all of that kind of stuff. And so thinking about it now, years later, that's something that I, I probably would have addressed with her, uh, just the whole fact of perhaps one of the reasons you can't love your husband is because of a, a stronghold that has a demonic stronghold that is developed towards another man. So that's part of the whole process. Question. I cannot, I have no clue why. Why, why does no one have questions, Robert? <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. okay, all right. Uh, I, I mean that sincerely. I'm not, I'm not fishing or confidence. I keep thinking, okay, there's going to be a question. Well, well, how about this or how about that? I, I would just go back to the whole worship disorder. What you are trying to help people do, you're, you're not just trying to fix what's wrong. You're trying to draw them into a relationship with God, either for salvation or for them to come to the place where they realize that as a Christian, the goal of my life is to please God that the goal of, of my life is not happiness, but it's holiness. And then especially in marriage, the purpose of my, my marriage is, again, God, God just doesn't allow people to get married to be happy, but to make them holy. And yeah, and uh, he uses husbands and wives uh, to do that, and kids and all kinds of other stuff. Church work, too. The purpose of church is, you know, God will rub a lot of flesh off of you in the midst of it all. Well, all right. Um, I hope that helps. I hope you've made a note or two on paper. Um, some of those illustrations, some of that homework, 
questions to ask people to move from theology and Bible stuff to very practical, real, this is what you do with it thing.